Well, happy Sabbath to all of you, and welcome to all our guests. And if this is being recorded, uh, welcome and greetings to all our brethren around the world. It's a happy day to be on God's Sabbath because we know that we are blessed for obedience and we learn His truth and revelation as well. Thank you, Mr. McCullough and uh, Mrs. Fisher, for that beautiful four hands music. That's uh, very inspiring to hear, see two people with four hands playing that special music on the piano. Uh, Last night, uh, my wife and I uh, were connected to Mr. Sheldon Munson's Living uh, Youth Bible Study, alive on the Internet. The subject was the Day of Atonement. Uh, Mr. Joshua Penman reports that there were about 268 connections at the peak, and so perhaps as many as 400 uh, were tuned into the Bible study. He also reported that the live stream 24-hour period, the Living Youth Program live stream account, had 17,988 minutes worth of views, uh, just under 300 hours of uh, viewing on uh, the Living Youth Program. How many of you uh, saw the Living Youth Bible study last night? See your hands. Okay, I know uh, uh, Mrs. Hazen had uh, put her name in the chat room, so uh, good to see that coming up. We did have people in the chat room from Brooklyn, New York, Baltimore, Maryland, St. Joseph, Missouri, Chicago, Illinois, Ralston and Bellevue, Nebraska, Tucson, Arizona, Toronto, Ontario, Mississauga, Ontario, Winnipeg, Manitoba, where they said it was one degree above zero Fahrenheit, and Frigid, Ottawa, Ontario, eight degrees, and also Bren, South Carolina. That was a new town to me. We also, this past week, uh, appreciated viewing Mr. Ken Frank's Wednesday night Bible study on Second Peter. You heard that announced by Mr. DeSimone for this coming week. That's uh, on the Internet. So God is giving us wonderful Bible study opportunities. Also, I hope uh, Thursday night you got to see the full moon. Last night it was still 96% full. God's creation is just absolutely glorious. When you look up in the heavens and see this beautiful full moon. We've all entered a new year on the Roman calendar. God doesn't seem possible that it's just the year 2017. There was a booklet written by Mr. Armstrong many years ago, 1975 in Prophecy. Many people thought that the church was actually going to flee in 1972. Of course, Mr. Armstrong used 1975 not as a date for the return of Christ, but as a comparison of those futurists who were saying there was going to be a helicopter in every lawn by 1975, and he was comparing those futurist visions with the reality of what was going to occur in the world. Yet time has really flown by. What are you going to accomplish in 2017? We know that biblical prophecies will continue to unfold as we saw in the Tomorrow's World telecast on January 1st. That was the prophetic keys for 2017. And by the way, that set a record response for the past six months. The United States will inaugurate a new president the next Friday with a new administration promising to make many governmental changes and some that will affect international relations and economies around the world. But in spite of the turmoil in the world, God has given us individually and as a church a great mission. 
And that mission is going to lead us into the kingdom of God if we're faithful in responding to Christ's guidance. Our Lord has set us the greatest goals in life. Matthew 6.33, you know that, you should know it if you don't know it, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The world is going crazy, and it is not following Christ's instructions to do just that. To turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter, Matthew 6, the world seeks after physical wealth and treasures, but Jesus told us to seek heavenly treasures. Matthew, the sixth chapter, and verse 19. Matthew 6, and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then, of course, later on, he gives us verse 33, our major goal of seeking first the kingdom of God. You know, when I was a, a boy, I dreamed of finding treasures. I thought that maybe there was a treasure buried in my backyard. You might turn to uh, Matthew, the 19th chapter, Matthew 19. Well, when Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, He's not saying that you shouldn't be a faithful steward of your working hard to provide for your family. And as John Stott in his commentary points out, God commends the ant for storing food in the summer ahead of time for the winter. That's in Proverbs, the sixth chapter. So the prohibition in Matthew 6 about storing up treasures on earth is a selfish accumulation. We do need to be prudent, and Dr. Meredith has written articles about being prepared for uh, emergencies. We should all have uh, some kind of emergency fund if we can afford that and try to be very discreet and be faithful stewards of the blessing God gives us. In Matthew, the 19th chapter, there was the young uh, rich man, and uh, Jesus told him, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments, Matthew 19 and verse 17. Verse 23, he said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say unto you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they said, well, who can be saved? Verse 26, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And of course, when we look back to the patriarchs, we know that Abraham was rich. And God's faithful servants were rich, but they did not set their heart on their possessions because that, of course, is covetousness and transgresses the Tenth Commandment. We heard in the sermonette about seeking God's laws and being obedient to not even the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law. So I was saying I was <clears throat> dreaming of finding treasures when I was a little boy. I actually had dreams, literal dreams of finding bundles of coin out in the street as I was walking uh, down the street. In fact, my first short story that I was assigned to write in the sixth grade was uh, Why My Name Is Rich, you know, for Richard. And uh, I won't tell you how I, that's another story. But anyway, that uh, 
I did have a, a sense of seeking treasures. Then even in my adult, adult years, I was intrigued by the mystery at Oak Island in Nova Scotia, which was popularized in the Reader's Digest that came out in January 1965, where two boys that discovered what amounted to a pirate's money pit. That was back in the late 1700s. Let me just give you a description of that. It was uh, Oak Island is located just 45 minutes south of Halifax in Nova Scotia in Mahone Bay. One description of the mystery, quote, Located off the coast of Nova Scotia, Oak Island is believed by many to be hiding one of the greatest treasures in history. Since the late 1700s, fortunes have been spent and lives have been lost, but no one has ever been able to crack the code to get at the prize. A prophecy says that seven people will die before the treasure is found. So far, six have perished in the accidents over the years. Our brethren have attended the feast there in Nova Scotia, but I don't think they were allowed to visit the money pit. But they have found three links of gold and an ancient parchment that was down in the money pit. And years ago, when they were close to getting into the money pit, the water flooded. They were actually, uh, whoever the pirates were, had uh, amazing engineering techniques, had flood tunnels, down into the money pit, so if anyone tried to get the, the treasure, it would flood. And so that was back in the 1700s, and here we are in 2017, and men are still putting money into the money pit. In fact, uh, have any of you seen the television series or even one of the uh, episodes on the curse of uh, Oak Island on the History Channel? Any of you seen that? Okay, good, about a... Several of you have seen uh, that particular series. And the last one, they had brought in millions of dollars of actual uh, modern technology to put a 40-inch metal tube casing down 171 feet where they actually found a cave that is about 20 foot, 21 foot wide. Now, I don't know uh, the latest uh, episode, but... Uh, that will air, supposedly, uh, this coming Tuesday, January 17th, uh, 2017, on the History Channel, where a diver actually goes down into the flooded tunnel. But I doubt that he found anything. So, anyway, uh, you may want to watch that if, uh, if the History Channel actually uh, airs that episode, episode number 10, season number 4, on the curse of Oak Island. Well, these physical treasures are inaccessible. But God is freely giving us spiritual treasures that are beyond our imagination. These men have been seeking 222 years to get what they think is treasure down in that money pit on Oak Island in Nova Scotia. But we need to identify God's true treasures and claim those treasures in faith. Turn to Proverbs, the second chapter, Proverbs 2. And here we find admonitions to seek true treasures. Proverbs, the second chapter. God's treasures are free. They're available. And God wants us to claim them. But it does take some effort to claim those promises. Proverbs 1, Proverbs 2, uh, verse 1. 
My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, what do you really seek after? So that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, which individuals have been doing for 222 years and six have already lost their lives in doing so. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the eternal and find the knowledge of God. For the eternal gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. But we must search for the true treasures. Those treasures are precious, and they are priceless promises of God. How many promises are there in the Bible? According to one researcher quoted in uh, BibleInfo.com, there are 3,573 Bible promises. 3,573 Bible promises. I don't know how he identified them all, but according to... Uh, let's suppose that you identify maybe even uh, a thousand of those or twelve hundred one a day uh, you would be seeking and claiming one thousand promises in a period of three years if you just did one one a day in our living university library we have this uh, book all the promises of the bible by Lockyer. Uh, he of course is an author of uh, several other books Uh, All the men of the Bible, all the women, doctrines, kings and queens, miracles, parables, prayers, promises, books and chapters, holy days and holidays, trades and occupations, children of the Bible, all the apostles of the Bible. So he's done quite a bit of research, and this is all the promises of the Bible. So you might want to, uh, I'll just read some of the contents here, Uh, promises relative to Christian scriptures. Promises relative to Christian doctrine. Promises relative to the marital realm, spiritual realm, eternal realm. Um, promises related relative to children. So if you want to seek some promises, uh, that's one way of doing it. But turn to Second Peter, the first chapter. Second <clears throat> Peter, the first chapter. The best way of seeking them is by your own perusing the Bible, reading the Bible, And you might even want to start a study with a a highlighter, maybe a blue or yellow or orange highlighter. And as you go through your Bible, highlight those that you identify are promises of God for you and for God's people. Second Peter. Second Peter, the first chapter. Second Peter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, there's a pearl of promise, a precious promise right there, who have obtained like precious faith. It's a treasure right there. It's a golden guarantee. Verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us 
given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us all things. Think about that, brethren. I know that we sometimes take for granted the blessings of understanding and the truth and revelation that God gives us. We ought to be thanking God, even as you sit here today, to just send a prayer up to God and thank Him for the understanding that you give Him. And, of course, it tells us in Psalm 111.10, a good understanding have all they that keep His commandments has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. God has given us understanding through his Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 2 that God has given us understanding of, yes, the deep things of God through Christ, of course, by which have given to us, verse 4, exceedingly great and precious promises, he doesn't say that God has just given you promises. He says he's given you precious promises. And then he says he's given you great and precious promises. And then he says he's given you exceedingly great and precious promises. You know, I, I think as a boy when I was wanting, you know, I was wanting that bicycle or I want those treasures, you think, the treasures that God has given us are exceedingly great and precious, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Not only are these promises giving us spiritual blessings, but they help us to be a part of God's whole plan in the universe to create in each and every one of us his divine, perfect, righteous, glorious character. And you know that is revealed to us as we keep the Passover and have all of our past sins forgiven through the blood of Christ and then the days of unleavened bread that show that we must replace the leaven of malice and wickedness or human nature with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, with divine nature, God's nature, can you imagine on all of the face of the earth that you and I and those whom God has begotten by His Spirit, for those who have repented and accepted Christ's shed blood and have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, are begotten with God's divine nature? That is just absolutely awesome. It's priceless. And it's through God's promises to us. He has a plan, and he loves every one of us in a special way. And we'll see some of those hidden treasures as we look through the Bible this afternoon. Well, the world has got human nature. We have human nature. But we have to replace that human nature with God's guidance and his blessings and his power and replace that with his divine nature. So are you, a con are you conscious of the divine nature that should be flowing through God's Holy Spirit as a part of your thinking, a part of your way of life? Of, uh, we're, we're still human. We all sin. We know we sin. It says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, in 1 John, the first chapter. And if we sin, we come before God's throne and if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, verse 9 and 10. So we realize that God has given us these awesome promises. The title for the sermon today is Claim God's Promises. We have sermon number 609, The Promises of God by Mr. Bob League. The Promises of God, number 609. Then sermon number 782, God's Precious Promises. And we had a telecast some years ago, uh, telecast number 247, The Promises of God. And the current, Tomorrow's World magazine, the uh, January-February 2017 magazine, has the article, The Treasure of God's Promises. So I encourage you. Have, have any of you uh, received your copy yet in the mail? I don't. Some of you have. I think it's, uh, you should be getting it probably this coming week uh, if you've not already received your copy. But The Treasures of God's Promises it's an article in that uh, magazine. You'll want to read that. So how do we find God's treasures, and what are some of those true treasures? Just a blessing just to go read and read and read of all the pearls of promises, the golden guarantees, the emeralds of encouragement, the treasures of truth. You can uh, add a few more descriptions of uh, those pearls of promise. You won't need to turn there, but John 6, verse 63. Jesus said, The words that I speak unto you are spirit, and they are life. Here are the words that God has preserved for us. If we make them a part of our character, of our thinking, of our life, of our prayers, they are life. One of the biggest lessons of life is learning where the true treasures are hidden. Turn to Matthew, the 13th chapter, Matthew 13. God has given us not just promises, but exceedingly great and precious promises. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, starting with verse uh, 44. Matthew 13. So here we have the various uh, parables, uh, the various descriptions and uh, metaphors and um, descriptions of the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's the kingdom of God. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, God is giving us that opportunity. Verse 45 is another description. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. I might interrupt and mention that uh, we were on a tour of uh, Tokyo uh, many years ago. I think that was 1981, a bus tour, and it ended up in a pearl store, a jewelry store. And you had a little entry ticket. And uh, if your ticket was called, you could go up to uh, the, uh, the desk, and they'd have an oyster, and they'd open it up, and there might be a pearl. Thankfully, my wife uh, was able to find a nice little, uh, what color is it you call it? I guess it's kind of a golden uh, color pearl, uh, which we gave to her mother. And after her mother deceased, then uh, my wife inherited it back. But just that lovely little pearl. 
But here's the pearl of great price, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. We realize that you are choosing in life what are the true riches. I may have told you the story before of my uh, Protestant minister, because I had been reading the literature from Mr. Armstrong on the true history, the true church, the uh, book of Revelation unveiled at last, the key to the book of Revelation, and I gave them to my Protestant minister. Finally, he said, well, I'll read these, Dick, if you read a commentary on the book of Revelation. And when I got to Revelation 6 in the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary, and it said the first horseman represented Christ, I knew they were in error, and I didn't need to read further. But anyway, when I went back to get my booklets, I want to get my booklets back, and I said, you know, uh, Pastor, what did you think about this booklet on uh, the Revelation? Well, here, to me, it was obvious and clear. God opened my mind to see what is going to happen. World War III, Armageddon, the major events in prophecy. What do you think about that, Pastor? His answer, well, it was all very interesting, but it leaves out the poetry. What? It leaves out the poetry. Well, of course, this is um, language, metaphoric language, symbolic language, and so that's where he was focused. His mind was closed. He couldn't understand the true revelation that God is giving us in the book of Revelation. And he said, why are you leaving the church? I said, well, when you find the truth, you go after it. And he said, oh, the pearl of great price. And I said, yes. I think God inspired him to say that, that God had given me the pearl of great price and that uh, led where, showed me where to find it and where to seek it. So God has given us the pearl of great price. And here's the example of a man who sold all that he had and bought that pearl of great price. So God has given us the true treasures. What true treasures has he given us? This understanding we heard in the uh, sermonette, reading from the official statement of fundamental beliefs. And here, even that documentary of the 29 subtitles in that statement of beliefs shows you the pearls of great price, the golden guarantees, the treasures of truth. But just to think about the nature of God, that he's the creator and lawgiver, and that he's love, the very purpose of life, that we can be born into God's kingdom, the truth about heaven, hell, and the resurrection, the truth about God's way of life, that Jesus promised that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And we recapture the true values in every aspect, in every realm and specter of or section and sphere of society and life, we were capturing those true values for the abundant life. And God promises his children the abundant life now and in the future. But we need to identify these promises in the Bible and stake our claim to them. We need to claim these promises. Now, in the realm of mining, they do stake claims. The Bureau of Land Management, for example, explains the process of staking a claim to a site that contains valuable minerals, mining claims and sites on federal lands. 
This law allows citizens of the United States the opportunity to explore, uh, discover, and purchase certain valuable mineral deposits on those federal lands that are open for mining claim location. So you can actually stake a claim to various property on federal lands if you discover minerals there, which would include locatable minerals, include both metallic minerals, gold, silver, lead, copper, zinc, nickel, and non-metallic minerals, fluorspar, mica, certain limestones, gypsum, tantalum, heavy minerals and plasterform, and gemstones. So you can stake your claim. And you know the history of the United States that had the great gold rush of 1849. At that time, California was a territory and had only 1,000 in population, but after gold was discovered at Sutter's Mill, the population increased by 100,000. They went out there in the gold rush that peaked in 1852. And then there was, uh, but where was gold first discovered in the United States? How many of you know where gold was first discovered in the United States? Oh, good. You got a handful of about uh, good uh, 20 North Carolinians who know the answer to that question. This is from uh, the website Gold Fever, unctv.org slash history. Where was gold first discovered in America? discovery of a 17-pound gold nugget in Cabarrus County, North Carolina, in 1799, marks the beginning of the North Carolina gold rush. Twelve-year-old Conrad Reed found the treasure in the waters of Little Meadow Creek and took it home where it was used as a doorstop for three years. A 17-pound gold nugget. And his father sold it for $35 when, and knew that he had been ripped off of that particular. But that his father, Reed, began the Reed Mining. And so today you can go there to uh, the Reed Mine in Midland, uh, North Carolina, 41 minutes here from the Weddington High School off uh, Route 27. And you can actually pan for gold at the Reed Mine uh, there in Cabarrus County. But, of course, when there were... Um, mining claims are also claim jumpers, they call them. In fact, in California, they have a, uh, a chain of restaurants called the Claim Jumper out there, and we used to enjoy uh, eating at that restaurant. But there are laws against claim jumping. But no one's going to jump your claim for claiming God's promises. Turn to Matthew, the seventh chapter, Matthew 7. There are claim uh, jumper restaurants in Arizona and Washington, Illinois, Louisiana, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, and Tennessee. Matthew, the seventh chapter, and verse seven. And you're very familiar with this section of scripture. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Here's a promise. And someone, uh, not my original, but uh, thought of the acronym ASK. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask. Well, that was pretty clever. 
But I remember my first time when I was coming into the church, when I was uh, working as a uh, transportation engineer in Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, was reading the literature. I had no church to attend, so I was reading the Good News magazine, and and it said something about raw whole milk and how good that was for you. And, of course, uh, I lived at Virginia Beach, and so I said, well, I read this. It said, ask, seek, and knock, and so I asked God for some raw whole milk. But went to the grocery stores, no, not available. Asked at the Regional Planning Commission, where do you think I could get some raw whole milk? They said, well, out in the country here, between Norfolk and Virginia Beach, there are some farms. Just go out there, and you might be able to get some raw whole milk. So I went out to one farm, and uh, the farmer said, no, no, we don't, we don't sell milk. We only sell it, uh, sell it wholesale. But where can I get? Well, that little farmhouse down the road, Mike, there, there was a, so I, I was uh, asking, seeking, and I was trying to find the door upon which to knock, but I went to the house, finally found the right door, knocked on the door. This uh, Amish lady came with her bonnet, and uh, I think I had my jacket and tie, so she thought I might have been a, a revenuer or government agent or something. But I said, you know, do you have raw home milk? And she said, yes. And she said, even I had some butter, too. And so that, to me, was a wonderful experience of asking, seeking, and knocking. And God provided me. It was, uh, you know, very inexpensive, relatively finding good milk and uh, good uh, butter. So God has given us all these wonderful promises that are practical, down to earth, and they pay off. Ask, seek, and knock. One of God's wonderful promises. So that's how you stake a claim to God's promises. You ask, seek, and knock. One of those ways. Luke 11 Uh, Luke 11, starting with verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? What is the natural interaction when you're asking for your needs? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Is it wrong to ask for bread or for fish or for an egg? Verse 13, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So why should you claim God's promises? Because he wants you to have that close deep, intimate relationship with him. You rely on God, but he promises to provide your every need. And you ask, and you will receive, and not only just the physical needs, of course, but the spiritual blessings, particularly God's Holy Spirit. And I hope you're praying daily that God will renew you with the Holy Spirit. And you teenagers, you're asking God that God's Spirit will be with you until the time when you're baptized and you receive God's Holy Spirit. So God will answer your prayer. We know that God answers prayers. We're here in this building because of your prayers, that God was going to provide our every need, a need for a meeting hall. And this is the first time here after six years on Randolph Road. This is a, we thank God for all of his blessings and all the work and research that 
went into finding this hall and having God's blessings to be able to meet here. So these are God's promises are a reflection of his love. And our interaction with him helps us to draw closer to him. But we have to draw close to him in faith. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Turn back to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. We have to grow in faith. It helps us to grow in faith when we claim God's promises. Hebrews 6, starting with verse 9. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak after this manner, that is, of warning all of us not to go back into the world. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So how do we inherit the promises? By faith and patience. We claim those promises to grow closer to God, to grow in faith, and also to have the power to complete our mission. And we know what that mission is. We turn to Mark as a way of review. Mark the uh, 16th chapter. Mark, we need claim God's promises so that we can fulfill the work that God has given us to accomplish. Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So God is giving us the power. That's one of the major reasons then for claiming God's promises. It helps us to draw closer to him. It helps us to grow in faith. And it helps us to fulfill the mission that he's given us. There are wonderful promises, and I'll briefly venture into one realm of promises, and that's God's protection and help in times of trouble. Turn back to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. So now we're looking into some of the jewels that God gives us, the pearls of promise, treasures of truth, the emeralds of encouragement, golden guarantees. Uh, Some of you can... Give me a few other descriptions. Psalm 91, what a wonderful promise God gives us here. He owns the whole universe, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is the word, the Christ, his power. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Eternal, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. So God is our protector. Verse 9, Because you have made the Eternal who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, where He shall give His angels charge over you. 
And we pray for God's protection in our daily life. We thank God for that promise. Another promise that you're familiar with, 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And I remember when I had that extreme back pain, I was screaming and asking God to please intervene. And, of course, that was uh, years ago. And I told you how one time I was in bed, I couldn't, I tried to get out of bed and crawl to the bathroom, and I couldn't even do that. And Dr. Meredith came over. This was in Rancho Bernardo in California at the time when we had our offices there. Came over to me, came over and anointed me. And I went to sleep. And about two hours later, I woke up and said, well, I'm not feeling any pain. I was lying on my back, and I risked sitting up was able to sit up. Well, no pain. I wonder if I can just turn, sit over on the side of the bed, move over to the side. Oh, no pain. And I was able to stand up without any pain. Now, you cry out to God. He said, He is not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God help me with that extreme pain from a back pain that I had to be able to get up and walk. I thank uh, Dr. Meredith, of course, for coming over and anointing me at that time. Well, this is one of God's wonderful promises. He is faithful, it says, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You claim that promise if you're facing some trial that seems to be breaking you, bringing you almost to the breaking point. Claim this promise. God is faithful. I won't turn there, but just refer you to Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Therefore know the eternal your God. He is God, the faithful God. So God is faithful. Are we faithful and loyal servants? That's uh, sermon number 799, faithful and loyal servants. So God promises to help us in times of trouble. He's faithful, but we must also be faithful. We have the confidence that God will fulfill his promises to us because one reason is that God has fulfilled his promises in the past. He's fulfilled his prophecies. In fact, we have, of course, Dr. Ornell's booklet, uh, The Real God, Proofs and Promises. And even here, as he writes in number page 22, proof number six, answered prayer. Another dramatic proof of God is that he fulfills his promises of answered prayer. For those who do not believe in God and have never prayed, this is merely a matter of doubt and skepticism. However, for individuals who believe in God and who do pray, which includes up to 90% of Americans, answered prayer is one of the most powerful personal proofs that God exists. To those who know their prayers have been answered, the doubts of skeptics 
are of little significance. Yes, God fulfills his promise of answered prayer. Turn to Luke, the uh, 24th chapter, to Luke 24. So we have the confidence that God will answer and fulfill, answer our prayers and fulfill his promises because we have the record in his in the history, they call it salvation history, if you will, and fulfilled prophecy, that God means what he says. Luke 24, verse 44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, you notice the first, the previous verse, verse 42 of Luke 24, So he gave them a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. This was on the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection. And he took it and ate in their presence. Just an aside, they realized that even Jesus, after his resurrection, ate probably fish and honeycomb. But here's the point, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Prophets, the Law of Moses, and the Prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. That's called the Tanakh in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Torah, the, uh, and the Nevi'im, meaning the Prophets, and the Ketuvim, meaning the Writings. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. So we find then that God has fulfilled many of those well, of course, hundreds, actually, of prophecies regarding the Messiah in his first coming. I brought this out on the, on the telecast in the past, that the Bible dictionary will list, and I hope, uh, how many of you have a physical Bible dictionary in your home library? Okay, it looks like about 83.5% of you have a Bible dictionary. You'll find that it will list, most likely, the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah's first coming and their fulfillment as documented in the New Testament. The Old Testament contains more than 300 references to the Messiah's coming. Peter Stoner, in his book, Science Speaks, examined the probability of one person fulfilling just 48 of those hundreds of prophecies. For that to happen by chance, would be 1 in 10, followed by 157 zeros. As someone calculated, that would be like trying to find one specific electron out of all the electronics in all the known universe on the first attempt. And that's only 48 of the Messianic prophecies. So, in other words, Christ's first coming and the fulfillment of those prophecies could never have been fulfilled by chance. They were powerfully predicted and fulfilled in hundreds of exacting details. So God encourages our faith by giving us overwhelming evidence of his fulfilled promises. Let's look at some other promises as we have time, some for our physical needs. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians 6, and of course this has to do with the keeping of God's commandments as we heard the sermonette. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Verse 1, 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Well, that's the first commandment with promise. I hope that all of us, I know that I've told you before, when I was age 25 and a freshman in Ambassador College, I came to a place of repentance, of realizing that I had disrespected my father and mother and came to really having cried about it. But my whole attitude and approach and communication with my parents changed dramatically, and I communicated with them regularly, even though I was in Pasadena, California, and they were back in Meriden, Connecticut. I tried to telephone them, write to them, and even later on actually did uh, tape recordings and set cassette uh, tape recordings to them. Changed my whole attitude. It's the first commandment with promise. Long life. <coughs> and then, I won't turn there, but you know the promise of Malachi 3, verse 10. That if you're a tithing and not robbing God of offerings, remember that the woman who was poor put in two mites, all she had. She wasn't tithing. She just gave all she had. And God and Jesus said she gave more than all the rich men putting money into the temple treasury. But he said he will open up to you the windows of heaven. There'll be not enough room to receive it. I know my first third tithe year. God bless me that time. Uh, non-stop flights across the country were kind of special. They're not they're more routine now, but in 1963, after my freshman year in Ambassador, I had my first non-stop flight from Los Angeles to New York. And as I recall, it was four hours and 17 minutes, and they haven't improved on that time since. But nonetheless, the third tithe year, I also was married. God gave me, as it says, a prudent wife is from the eternal. Well, God bless me, and I hope that all of you have experienced that promise fulfilled, that God will open you to you the windows of heaven. Well, it doesn't mean if you're a tithing and yet you're breaking God's commandments in many other ways that he's going to open the windows of heaven to you. You need to make sure that you're striving with your whole heart to fulfill all God's law of love. Let's take a look at another one, and that is uh, Philippians 4.19. I referred to that in terms of God providing us this meeting hall, Philippians 4 and verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So what are your needs? Well, you have physical needs, you have spiritual needs, and of course they must be godly needs, not ungodly needs like the opiate uh, epidemic that's striking the United States and uh, a terrible plague, and it's in the news just basically every day. But God will provide your godly needs. You know the story of uh, Mr. Armstrong asking for 10 cents. That's in the autobiography of Herbert W. Armstrong, Volume 1, Chapter 23. Uh, the subhead said, asking God for 10 cents. You know the story that 
the baby was crying and uh, Mr. Armstrong said, Loma, give me 10 cents. I need to go get some milk for the crying baby. So well, I don't have 10 cents. So he went into the bedroom and prayed privately and claimed God's promise of Philippians 4.19. said, well, God, I, I, you promised to provide my every need. The baby's crying and needs some milk and this is a need. I claim your promise. Please send me 10 cents. And so just he got out from prayer and then uh, one of the daughters looked out and said, oh, uh, dad, there's the rag and bottle man. And uh, so tell him to come in. Maybe we can sell him something. So, of course, Mr. Armstrong took him down in the basement and he looked around and said, well, I don't see anything here that interests me in buying. And just as he was going up the stairs, he said, oh, there's a pile of magazines. I'll give you 10 cents for those. And uh, Mr. Armstrong tried to get a dollar out of him, but he realized, no, he had prayed for 10 cents. And so God answered that prayer. He got the 10 cents and sent Beverly down to the store to get the milk for the crying baby. It's a wonderful story. I hope if you have not read Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, Dr. Meredith has been rereading that recently and said how inspiring it is. He's just been so encouraged by reading that first volume of Herbert W. Armstrong's autobiography. I'll encourage all of you to do the same. This is one of my favorite, favorite promises. Psalm 37, verse 4. Psalm 37, verse 4. No, God promises our every need, but will he give you something beyond your needs? Well, with conditions, yes. Psalm 37, and there are conditions to it. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself also in the eternal, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. One of the desires of my heart was to go to Jerusalem. And I prayed about that, and... uh, 17 years after I prayed about that, I was there, where was it? Oh, yes, in the Hall of Administration. And that was 1984. And Mr. Raymond McNair, who was Deputy Chancellor at the time, said, uh, uh, came into my office and uh, said, Dick, uh, they have the archaeological dig there in the city of David in Jerusalem, and Mr. Armstrong wants you and your wife to go to Jerusalem to dig. And I literally, I think I literally jumped up in the air for joy. And I call that a jump for joy moment. I don't know how many jump for joy moments you've had, but uh, they are rare. I confess to that. But I have had jump for joy moments, and that was one of them. But I had prayed for 17 years to go to Jerusalem, claiming this promise that God would give me the desires of your heart. Now, remember the desires have to be godly desires. They can't be ungodly and lawless and sinful desires. But notice there's more in concerning the requirements. Verse 5, commit your way to the eternal. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So he's requiring delight in him. He's requiring that you commit your way to him, and he's requiring that you trust in him. And he will give you the desires of your heart. 
And of course, that's part of fulfilling the seven laws of success, of setting a goal, having the education, the good help, the preparation, the drive, the perseverance, the resourcefulness, and of course, the guidance of God in those seven laws of success. But here's one of God's wonderful promises I've experienced, and I hope that you can experience it as well. Then, of course, there are the spiritual blessings as well as the physical blessings that come along. We already read in Proverbs 2 that we're to seek wisdom, knowledge, and understanding and seek for those spiritual blessings, those very valuable blessings. Let's turn to James, the first chapter. James, and again, uh, here, those spiritual attributes, those spiritual gifts are special to only God's people. And you are God's people. James 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 2, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature, and complete, lacking nothing. God's masterpiece of creation is creating in you his perfect character, and we're not perfect. I think I, I drop things with my hands. I go, wait a minute. Look, concentrate on what you're doing while you're doing it. You need good hand-eye cooperation. Just because you're 80 years of age doesn't mean you should drop things. You know. so we have to, again, try to be perfect as we can, but perfect in loving. And that means unconditional love. We've got a whole sermon on that. Become perfect, complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. Oh, God is generous and without reproach, and it will be given him, but let him ask in faith and not, no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed in the wind. So God will give you wisdom. He'll give you faith. He'll give you understanding. He'll give you his Holy Spirit, as we saw already in Luke 11 and verse 13. And if we as physical parents know how to give good things to our children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That is power. That's understanding and truth, the very power by which the universes came into being, the very power by which God gives us his love, the very power of begettle that God has begotten each of us by his Holy Spirit and we become his children. There are so many hundreds of other uh, promises, uh, of course, correction. He promises to correct it. That's part of even... Philippians 4.19, he'll provide every, our every need, and that even means correcting us in love. You know that chapter, Hebrews 12, verse 5, the correction with love chapter. And then he promises us forgiveness. I already mentioned 1 John 1, verse 9. But you have to repent and ask for forgiveness. He promises us peace of mind. Well, we might turn there to that one in Philippians 4 because this is a, a plague on American people and people around the world. They are stressed. The degree of mental ill health 
is increasing in the United States, and yet God can give you soundness of mind and peace of mind. Verse 4, Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Yes, Christ has given another promise in John 14. I will return. That's an awesome promise. Of course, that's like the proofs and prophecy and promises. Prophecy and promises sometimes overlap. And Christ is promising to come back. And we all need to respond, of course, as the next to the last verse in the Bible says, as John said, the Apostle John, even so, come, Lord Jesus. I hope that's your desire and that's your prayer. So that's one of God's promises. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Uh, When I got anxious, I have to remind myself, oh, I'm getting anxious, I'm getting stressed. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And here's the promise, verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good, of good report, virtue, if there are anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These things which you've learned and received and heard and saw me do, and the God of peace will be with you. What awesome pearls of promise God is giving us. Let's turn to one more. There's so many hundreds and dozens of awesome promises. One of my other favorite promises is Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. Mr. Wally Smith's sermon on uh, You Have No Idea covered this whole section about the awesome future that we have of really knowing God and how do we know him and, and realizing that we will be filled with the fullness of God, verse 19. That hasn't happened yet. It will happen when we are born into the kingdom of God. But verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Do you have that concept that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that's in us? Well, I claimed that promise one time and... uh, I was uh, coming back from Ambassador College to my engineering job in Norfolk, Virginia, and was asked God for a place to live exceedingly abundantly above all that I could think to ask or imagine. And when I flew back to uh, Norfolk to the Regional Planning Commission area, I had to find a place somewhere near the office, so I went to the YMCA, and they had a room there of $2 a night, but it wasn't really up to standard, so... I went down the street, rented a 
a condo, not a condo, a, um, I guess an efficiency apartment down in the basement for one week. And that week, as I started my summer job with the engineering uh, job with the Regional Planning Commission, I was going out looking for the mansion that I knew God was going to give me because I had claimed Ephesians 3.20. And uh, by the end of the week, nothing happened. I called my landlady out at Virginia Beach had a, where I rented an apartment on the lake. And uh, she said, no, that apartment uh, that you rented, Dick's rented, sorry, can't rent it to you. At the end of the week, I had to say, God in heaven, I've got to now go from a week's rental fee rate up to a monthly rental rate, and that's Thursday night. Tomorrow my rent's up. I've got to find some place. But if you want me to stay here in this discouraging um, basement apartment, your will be done because I'd look up and I'd see windows at the street level and see people walking by, and I was down in a basement apartment. The next day at the office, I got a call from my landlady saying, Dick, you know, the apartment you rented is occupied, but if I move out of my home, would you like to rent it? Oh, really? Uh, How much? The same amount that I paid for the apartment. She moved out of her house to her sister, to her daughter's home next door, so I could move into her home right on the lake. God answered that prayer of Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever think to ask or imagine. I had a secretary. I told her that story. She was a third tithe widow there in Big Sandy, and she was kind of discouraged. She said, well, I just my life is just... I just don't find anything exciting. I told her my story. I said, well, look, pray and ask God to give you something. She said, I'd like to do some traveling. Well, pray and ask God that he'll give you something exceedingly abundantly above all you can ever think to ask or imagine. Oh, well, that, that, that would take a lot of boldness on my part. Yes, you can do it. Pray and ask that. She did. And she was with one of the other widows in Big Sandy, and this widow was fairly wealthy, and she said, well, you know, I won't say her name. I'll say it was, say, uh, Jane, you know that uh, I've been really wanting to travel, and really I need someone to travel with me. Uh, would you like to go with me? In fact, I would like to travel around the world, and I'd like to visit all of the church offices around the world. My secretary traveled around the world. This other woman paid her expenses visited the church offices around the world. Dr. Doug Gwinnell has done that. I haven't done that. But my secretary did that because she claimed the promise of Ephesians 3.20. Now, of course, there are requirements, of course. We need to also had to learn the lesson. You know, your will be done, not mine. If you want me to live in, in, a, in a discouraging basement apartment, your will be done, not mine. We need to always have that. So God has given us the promises of peace of mind, the ability to endure trials, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of his love, Romans 5, 5. He's given us the gift and the promise of eternal life. And, of course, Mr. Weston's booklet on uh, John 3.16, he mentions that in the very last chapter, chapter 8. We do not like to think about it, but every one of us is going to die. Then what? What happens after death? 
Where, if any place, will you go and what will you be? Answers vary depending on where you look and what you ask. But John 3.16 promises the potential of an unending life after death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We must note that the promise of everlasting life is conditional. Perishing is the natural outcome of a sinful life, but this verse gives us hope beyond the grave. So God has given us a guarantee of eternal life. We thank God for all of his promises. We need to understand who we are, that we actually, brethren, are the children of promise. That's in Galatians 4, verse 28. It tells us in Romans 8 that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. So, brethren, we are heirs of promise. We're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. We are special treasures in God's sight because he told Israel, you'll be a special treasure to me in Exodus 19 and in Deuteronomy 7 and in Deuteronomy 14. But he calls us his jewels in Malachi, the fourth chapter. So, brethren, let's trust God. Let's claim God's glorious and precious promises and understand that through patience and faith, with obedience, we will inherit the promises. We conclude with uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, uh, verse 13. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These are the men and women of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, that is, the eternal promises. They received a lot of current promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Our responsibility, brethren, is to embrace the promises. So let's claim God's promises. Let's search for those spiritual treasures and realize that the treasures at Oak Island that have been searched for and millions spent, six lives uh, lost in search of those treasures at Oak Island after 222 years. But God is giving us freely his spiritual treasures. Let's, brethren, thank God for his true treasures. Let's rejoice as we diligently claim God's exceeding great and precious promises.